today begins, well, actually Friday began uh, Father David's uh, paternity leave, and the big prayer is that Kendall will have the baby on Wednesday, and if that happens, it'll be a three for three, babies born on their birth, on their due date. Wouldn't that be amazing? Like Smithsonian, all kinds of stuff happening. So in David's absence, I want to thank uh, Father Seth, a church planner from Christ Church Plano that will be with us today and next week serving alongside of us and, and providing leadership for us. So thanks for, for being here today. If you're new uh, here, uh, my name is Dean Moyer, and I am the executive, I don't know why they put that name on there, I'm the director of Parish Life, and uh, I help folks get connected here at the church. And today, I get the privilege of uh, coming before you uh, to speak uh, from God's Word. With this chipper thought, let's begin. If you have water, you live. If you don't, you die. Compelled by the reality that 1.1 billion people in the world do not have access to clean drinking water, Doc Henley, a bartender from Boone, North Carolina, where we used to live, uh, began holding events where he would partner with local wineries, and they would give a portion of their sales to his efforts to raise money to somehow support this overwhelming problem, and also to tell other people about the crisis. So in essence, you, you buy wine, you provide water. Seemed like a pretty simple plan. And it worked. It, it took off. Henley traveled to Darfur, Sudan in 2004 and began installing wells and water systems for the victims of the government-supported genocide. Not having any idea how, where this road would lead him, in a very short time, Doc Henley launched an international relief effort that he called Wine to Water. Doc was selected in 2009 as the CNN hero. Uh, you can actually look it up online. You can look on their website and see this whole uh, presentation. Water to Wine has uh, been present in over 50 countries, reached more than 1.4 million people with clean water. Doc's work has saved thousands of lives by providing humanity's most basic need, clean water. Most recently, if you go onto their website, you'll, you'll find them uh, on the ground there in Turkey and Syria providing life-giving water through the filtration, filtration systems to those uh, victims of earthquakes. If you have water, you live. If you don't, you die. The human body can go about 40 days without food, but water, anybody know how long? About three days. About three days. Most of us don't really understand the feeling of being so thirsty that death is imminent. Water is just a, a faucet turn away, isn't it? Or a bottle away. In fact, in fact, we don't just have plain old water. We have we have options. We've got tap water. We've got filtered water. We've got mineral water. We've got spring water. We have distilled water. We have purified water. We have flavored water. We have soda water. We have infused water. We have alkaline water. We have well water. And just in case it wasn't enough, 
we have low-calorie water. <laughs> Hello, America. <laughs> We're just saturated, pardon the pun, by its abundance. Well, today in our gospel reading, we heard what to some of us uh, has come to be a very familiar story, an encounter of Jesus with a woman at the well in an arid desert Middle Eastern climate, especially before any of the modern conveniences that we experience or relief organizations can come in and help. When getting fresh, clean drinking water really took work, the subject of water was a big deal. And so when Jesus absurdly offers this woman living water and says, whoever drinks of this water that I give them will never be thirsty again, I think he had her attention because water is a big deal. Well, before we look too closely at that, I want to zoom out for just a moment and look at the Gospel of John the author of our text this morning, because he uses this theme of water, as do so many biblical writers, to communicate an extraordinary truth about the life of the kingdom of God. And because of this time and this place, the water theme flows throughout, and it could not be missed by those who would hear the stories for the first time. So here's a quick flyover of the Gospel of John and water. Maybe we should say a float over. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, John the Baptist baptizes in water. John the Baptist then says that one is coming that will not baptize with water but with the Holy Spirit. It's an important clue for us as we proceed this morning. John chapter 2, we have the familiar story of Jesus' first miracle of not wine to water, but water to wine. John chapter 3, we heard last week that Jesus invites Nicodemus to be born of water and the Spirit. John chapter 4, today's message, we find Jesus talking to this Samaritan woman at a, a family historical well. John chapter 5, the pool of Bethsaida, thought then to be this place of healing for those who had first come and touched the waters. John 7, the feast of tabernacles where the waters would flow from a rock as prophecy foretold. John chapter 9, the pool of Siloam. John chapter 13, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And John chapter 19, water that flowed from Jesus' side on the cross. Water, John shows them, is essential to life. And this living water of God was rushing their way. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to John chapter 4, and let's take a look at this. Let's look at this gift of living water. Well, as we do, we, we come to this encounter of Jesus with this woman and I think we need to know a little bit about her to get maybe some details that will help us this morning. Here are three observations about this woman in John chapter 4. First of all, she's a Samaritan. And you probably know that Samaritans and Jews did not get along. They were considered cultural half-breeds. They had a form of Judaism that was highly offensive to the Jewish people. We should Pay attention to the fact that Jesus was cross, crossing this major social 
and religious boundary to speak to her. And speaking of her, uh, men simply did not speak to women. This is a point in Jewish history that the role of women was at an all-time low. Women were separated from men privately, publicly, in religious life. And he, a man, asks her for a drink. Unheard of. And then thirdly, her job. Her job was most likely to, to go to this well and get water regularly, but not at high noon. Something's going on for her to be at the well at high noon, the heat of the day. All the other woman, women of the city would have gone to the well together in the morning when it's cooler. But we're guessing that because of her immoral life, she was probably, she was most likely a social outcast, even from the lowest of society. If, there, if society was a, a, a ladder and the women were on the lowest rung, this woman wasn't even on the ladder. She was below them. She was alone and she was thirsty. And here is Jesus, a, a Jewish man, and he offers her water, but not just any water. Unlike the water that she was attempting to draw from Jacob's well, this family of her forefathers, he offers something that catches our attention. He offers her living water. So what's the living water? We're not going to go far in this passage because there's so much in John chapter 4, verse 14, that we're going to land there today so you can take a deep breath and know that we're not going to go through the whole chapter together. John chapter 14, we're going to see something, some beautiful stuff in here today. John writes Jesus' words, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. We're going to see that this is water that Jesus gives. We're going to see that this is water that fully satisfies. And we're going to see that this is water that gives eternal life. It's water that Jesus gives. Well, by now you're probably understanding that this isn't really water, right? What's he really talking about? To answer this, we're actually going to go ahead just a bit and look at John chapter 7 because something really amazing is going on in chapter 7 that tells us about this water. In John chapter 7, we have this scene that takes place during a festival. It's called the Festival or the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, of all the feasts, this was the big one. On this last day of this feast which is full of prophetic messianic significance. The high priest would lead the people, all the people that had come to this feast on this last day. They, he would fill this vessel with water. He would go down to the pool of Siloam, fill this vessel with water, and all the people would follow him back to the temple. They would be singing psalms. They would climb the steps of the temple together. And the priest would lift up this vessel that was full of water, and he'd pour its contents onto the ground, commemorating 
what we heard earlier this morning from Moses, from, about Moses in Exodus 17. As we heard in this reading, the, the, the priest would cry then. He would cry, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. But then I imagine, because the verse tells us in, just a bit later in verse 37, that Jesus, maybe from the back of the crowd, with a loud voice, he proclaims, here it is, he proclaims this, he proclaims that if a man is thirsty, he can come to me to drink. The man who believes in me, as the scripture says, will have rivers or torrents of living water flowing from his inmost heart. And he goes on to explain, here it is, now this, he said, about the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. You see, the question is not what is the living water. The question is who is the living water? Who is this living water that Jesus is promising to give? It is the Holy Spirit. He was referring to the promise that he would later give when he said, nevertheless, I tell you that it is to your advantage that I go, that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper of the Holy Spirit will not come. But if I go, I'll send him to you. The living water that Jesus promises, the living water that Jesus gives is none other than the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, the breath of life. This is the Spirit of the living God who dwells in us when we say yes to Jesus. The Holy Spirit, if you go away with nothing else today, this is it. The Holy Spirit is the life of Christ in us. He's not somewhere out there that we conjure Him up somehow if we live rightly. He is the promise, the seal, the comforter, the guide, the one who dwells within, that we might live on mission to bring glory to Christ. He is the power that enables us to do that. And so by offering this living water to this particular woman and, and all the baggage that she brings along behind her, He's saying to all of us, the living water of Christ is offered to you, because, number two, he is water that will satisfy our thirst. Thirst is a powerful metaphor. Our bodies quickly tell us when our personal water table is getting low. We, we get the dry mouth. It explains my bad breath. Mental fogginess, headaches set in. We grow fatigued and restless. We require lots of sleep. And soon, after that three days, uh, the cells in our bodies, they, they start to, to shut down. See, God gives us thirst so that we might live. He gives us thirst physically so that we might live. And He gives us thirst spiritually so that we must live. And we must keep drinking Although, Jesus said something that's absurd. He said, whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst again. 
This other thirst, this spiritual longing, is what the woman was actually seeking to quench. And Jesus sees her. This, this woman's spiritual thirst is her spiritual longing and ours to, to know God and to be known by him. Here, Jesus addresses head on with the woman that her, that her life is modeling her own lostness. She's modeling a life of, of seeking and desiring and compromising her whole self to satisfy longings that she has spiritually. We learn that she's had five husbands. She's now living with another. Uh, day after day, she seeks to satisfy her spiritual thirsts with physical choices and relationships that will never, ever satisfy. And she needs to return each day to try to quench those thirsts of longing. As a result of her errant thirsts, there she is, a moral outcast. She is sought by no one. She's belonging nowhere. She's always longing for more because nothing fills, nothing satisfies. And loneliness has become her normal. What is Jesus offering? Fulfilling the Father's promise to never leave or forsake us. And his promise to give the Holy Spirit to those who follow him as a companion and guide. Here's what Jesus offers her and he offers us. He offers satisfaction, endless satisfaction and joy. He offers a life of belonging, a life of being known. He offers a life as it was meant to be lived. It is Jesus. It is water that Jesus gives. It is water that fully satisfies. And then Jesus goes on to say, this water will become in him a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. Let me break that down just in three interesting sections. It's interesting that that word will become, we, we read right over it, but it's chocked full of power. It is will come into being when the Spirit comes into life. It is not just become, it is come into being. It's that 2 Corinthians 5, 17 verse. Do you know that one? If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Behold, excuse me, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The living water, the Holy Spirit you see in us is generative. It brings back to life that which was dead. So we will have life. And then there's this spring idea, which is a picture of it literally gushing forth from us, welling up torrents, an endless flooding supply. When you talk about wells there in that day, and maybe still today some, there, there's basically two kinds of wells. There's one which is kind of an open cistern type of well that rainwater would get collected in. And they're always at risk of evaporation and pests and leaking out. And then there's the kind of well that they're digging with wine to water where they dig down deep enough that they actually tap in to the spring below. In fact, if you go on to that CNN website or the wine to water, there's actually a video of, of them drilling down where they 
get the water, and they finally hit it, and it comes up through the pipe, and it springs up, and, and rainwater, if you will, it looks like rainwater, saturates everybody. It's a well of living water springing up, literally, in that moment. But that's what Jesus says to, to us today. It is spring water that cannot be contained. And then finally, this, this idea of eternal life. Again, there, there are a couple ways to looking at eternal life. There's a transactional way, which is the way I, frankly, have always thought about it. And it's like, it goes like this. If I say yes to Jesus, I get that down there somewhere or out there. I get eternal life. It's transactional. Say yes to Jesus, get life. But I think there's another way to look at it. In fact, I think the text pushes us to think beyond heaven to the present, to the present, to the present, and that is, it's relational. It goes like this. As a result of the Christ life in us through the Holy Spirit, we are now now alive. We are now alive eternally. See, here, life is not a noun of something we attain. It is a verb of the way that we live today. You have life eternal springing up in you today. It's present power. It's present liveliness intended to be lived now. Eternity isn't there. Eternity begins now in the life of the Spirit. And so let me ask you, if you've never thirsted for that eternal life, Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for this life that Christ offers us? Came across this text from Michael Card. He says, if you know that you're thirsty, if your heart and soul are dry and deep within you're barren as a stone, hear his fearless promise spoken every day anew, For all who thirst, who are afraid, lost, and all alone, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The living water comes from deep inside to everyone who will believe an inner spring will flow, welling up into eternal life. If you've not said yes to Jesus, today could be the day where your thirst is quenched and the Spirit comes. If you're thirsting, Jesus is offering you living water today that will truly satisfy and give you eternal life. Take it, drink it, and live. If you're following along in our Lenten journey, you're probably wondering at this point, what in the world does this have to do with Lent? I have no idea. No, I do have. I do. <laughs> I'll make up something at this point. Well, if you're journeying through these, this 40-day season of Lent, you may be wondering or maybe noticing that there is some connection to Jesus and his 40 days in the wilderness. Have you ever put those two things together? There is some precedence in, in uh, early church writings that would suggest At least it alludes to that. Matthew tells us that Jesus was led up 
by the Spirit into the wilderness and he, to be tempted. And Scripture says that after 40 days, he was what? He was hungry. Knowing what we know physiologically about hunger and thirst, we're told that Jesus went 40 days without food and he was hungry. I wonder about water. Did he have it? Could he go 40 days without water? I'm not going to go down that road and answer the question, but I'm going to say no. I guess I answered the question, but I'm also going to say I know that he wasn't alone. Who was with him? Who was he led into the wilderness with? By the Spirit. Let your imaginations go. We don't know. But what I do know is he was not alone, nor are we. As followers of Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit, the living water of Christ, he leads us and he guides us even in this season of Lent. In our own preparation, as we journey to the cross, to the empty tomb of Christ. And so let me suggest three ways, very practically this morning, how we can engage with this thirst quenching power of Christ in us. First one is to drink prayerfully. Some of you are going, yes, not that way. Here we go. This may seem a little crazy, but it's true. I want to tell you about something that I do every morning. First thing, I, I drink a glass of water. I go out to the kitchen, grab the glass, fill up water, and I drink it. And I pray. I really do this. I pray. A familiar hymn sometimes is, Come thou fount from within. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing your praise today. I, I'm connecting water to the Spirit when I'm doing that. Sometimes I'll pray the prayer of the text that we sang this, this morning. Holy Spirit, living breath of God, breathe new life into my willing soul. Bring the presence of the risen Christ or risen Lord to renew my heart and make it whole. I do that every morning. Why do I do that? Because I'm forgetful and I need to be reminded that it is not my strength. It is the life of Christ in me and I need the power of the Spirit. Secondly is to pray thoughtfully. In our scripture readings, in our prayers, be attentive. What are you reading? What, what, what is it saying? What are we asking the Spirit to do? Our liturgy offers many opportunities. Our call for purity that we prayed this morning, uh, because of its repetition, we may just gloss over it each time. But I want you to say it with me. You, so most of you know it from memory. I'll read it just in case you don't. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Pray thoughtfully. Then last, we give liberally. 
There are traditionally three practices that help us embody the richness of the Lenten season. The first one is fasting, going without food and embracing our full dependence on, on Christ for everything. Second is prayer, extended times of prayer, talking with God and in confession and listening. And then there's this third thing, which doesn't get a whole lot of airtime, but it's almsgiving. This is our expression of the life of God in us, outward to the world. This is where the springs of living water flow outward to others, released through our generous acts of mercy, kindness, and love toward others. And so the question for us will be this. How might this Lenten season be marked by the flow of Christ beyond us to the world around us? We'll close by praying this particular prayer together, putting these words on our lips. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we believe, we come, and we drink hour by hour, and only you sustain us. Thank you for drinking our cup of death so we can drink from your eternal river of life. Lead us in your grace and truth to extend to others a cup of cold water from the overflow of your spirit deep within. Love and glory to your name, O hallowed one. Amen. To the glory of Christ. Thank you.